Should brachycephalic breeds be banned? That's exactly what's happening in Europe, and Norway just passed a law that was followed by a lawsuit that was also settled. This week, we want to talk about brachycephalics, the risk, and why aren't more U.S. veterinarians talking about this international issue on the Veterinary Viewfinder. back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And once again, we've got the tough topic of breed bans. Now, historically, when we've talked about breed bans in the United States, we've been referring to pit bulls. But this time, it's all about those cute little pugs and Frenchies and other smoosh-faced brachycephalic breeds that have really got our European counterparts up in arms. And this week we want to talk about some breaking news that's just happened over in Norway and sort of where we sit on this whole issue of brachycephalic breeds. But before we get into that conversation, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky, wow, once again, we are going to wade into the murky waters of controversy. And that has to do with the Frenchies. Who doesn't love the Frenchies? Well, we all love the Frenchies, and that's the problem. <laughs> we always love what's not good for us. And, you know, it's been a discussion we've had before. It's it's a longstanding discussion in animal welfare groups where we're breeding animals with known health issues. In fact, we almost play it like a game in veterinary medicine, right? Like, I name the breed, you rattle off the health issues, and we could go back and forth all day. And that is the problem. So the Norwegian um, Animal Protection Society is saying, we need to take a look at the laws and say, breeding unhealthy animals needs to be against the law. When we have known genetic conditions, it should be illegal to breed these animals. And it turns out the government's backing them up. Right. And, and there's research to back up some of our European counterparts' uh, assumptions. And if you didn't see it, there was a study that was published back in 2020, and it was done by the Royal Veterinary College in the UK. And the title was Unraveling the Health Status of Brachycephalic Dogs in the UK Using Multivariable Analysis. And so I'll save you reading the whole thing, although I think you should. Uh, but bottom line is they found, and I'm going to read right here, this study, and I'm quoting, this study provides strong evidence that brachycephalic breeds are generally less healthy than their non-brachycephalic counterparts. Now, Becky, that line right there actually gave credence to a lawsuit in Norway. Yeah. And I want to be honest, I am not a lawyer. Uh, Legal disclaimer, I am not a lawyer, but, and, and all of this is a little confusing as is all legal stuff, but basically the ruling that came out on the 22nd of January is, is saying that the, their supporting language changes around, um, what is currently written in the welfare act saying that, um, animals must be quote unquote robust for breeding to be more specific. And this law is based specifically around English bulldogs and Cavalier King Charles Spaniels. Right. And, and so, again, the Norwegian Society for the Protection of, of Animals, which is like their ASPCA, I guess, Becky, they sued kennel three or I think it was three kennel clubs in Norway saying, hey, they're breeding animals that 
violate the existing animal welfare rules, and they won, right? And so this was a big campaign. I think they claimed over 1,500 veterinarians had signed on to a petition calling on the courts to stop this. And, you know, again, Becky, this is one of those issues where every time I look on Instagram, I am inundated with cute Frenchies and pugs and bulldogs and so forth. And yet, apparently, over in the UK, there's even a campaign in social media that was started by the, the charity Blue Cross. It's called End the Trend, and they're calling on all advertisers to discontinue using any brachycephalic animal, including other like rabbits, um, in any advertising because they think that also promotes this. So again, it seems to be a, quite a difference between like the U.S. and the U.K. on this particular issue. Yeah, and I have to say I am familiar with the Animal Welfare Act in the United States, not in a lot of other countries, and the specifics are not there in the United States Animal Welfare Act in comparison to the UK. And from now, what I'm reading regarding the Norwegian Welfare Animal Welfare Act, and you know what they're basically saying is you just can't breed sick dogs. You can't breed right. dogs that are so unhealthy that they're going to pass these genetic traits on to their kin, and now they're making it part of the law, so you can actually be convicted. You know, I I know there's so many times in practice where we see a young dog come in, it has a some kind of genetic condition, and we're like, oh, get them signed up for spay neuter. You know, it's like the first thing we right. think of. Um, that's what we want to be done. But if the owner opts not to spay or neuter them, there's no law involved. Um, I got to say, I feel kind of good about knowing that there is actually kind of a law that holds people responsible. But what is happening here with this lawsuit is they're pinpointing these two specific breeds and almost saying breeding these specific breeds at all in general, you know, despite any immediate condition of any one particular dog is promoting the health conditions because they're so inbred and they've so long been inbred that we're at a point where we can't undo it. Yeah, exactly. And so one of the the things that the UK veterinarians are kind of pushing for is to more, I guess, crossbreed or at least try to select like Frenchies and pugs and bulldogs that don't have all of the problems associated with brachycephalic, you know, uh, diseases, particularly, again, upper airway. You know, Becky, what's interesting, too, is in the U.S., I personally know a couple of very popular veterinarians who literally, you know, make kind of a social media career out of showing them doing like, you know, soft palate <laughs> surgeries on Frenchies and pugs. And, you know, it's kind of like, hey, you know, don't forget when you get a new Frenchie, you're going to probably want to take care of that airway. And and I think that's really the 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 ground level of this issue, right? It's like, should you get a dog that you know almost with certainty is going to require corrective surgery in order to enable it to breathe normally? I mean, you know, it's like, wait, what? (laughs) So here's the problem in the moment when you ask me that question. And it's sort of, I think, the same same thing about you. Not the same, but let's say it parallels you being vegan and me not, right? Like, as I'm like... If I don't eat the chicken that's in the case, it doesn't make it any less dead. And I understand that there is a much more like meta view of that than like my <laughs> micro analysis of the already dead chicken I'm going to eat. Don't but look I up. Think, right? I know, I know. But I also think that there's sort of this like, well, the Frenchie's already born, right? The puppy's already here. They're not being bred because I want one, but here they already are. I think it's, again, that thing where we think about, like, me as an individual can't make a greater level change. Um, 
And I know a lot of veterinary professionals with French Bulldogs and with smushy-faced dogs and smushy-faced cats and, right. you know, breeds. And, and, and it's not even just that, right? Like, like if you own a boxer, right, we know right. that there's heart conditions. I'm not just blaming the smushy face. They're just being, they're being called on. And the reason that they're being called on is because... The actually actual wording to this act is is that when it comes to breeding, it must quote encourage characteristics which give robust animals which function well and have good health. Breeding, including through methods of gene technology, shall not be carried out in such a way that it changes genes in such a way that they influence the animal's physical or mental functions in a negative way or passes on such genes. B, reduces the animal's ability to practice natural behavior. Or C, invokes general ethical reactions. And that's, wow. Wow, that, that's a lot. And, you know, Becky, and here, it, look, I this is where I'm like you. I'm torn on topics like this. And I, I, I'm imagining a lot of viewfinders feel the same way that we do. And that is that, first and foremost, I don't like breed bans, right? Because like yeah. you just mentioned, well, where does, what about boxers, right? I mean, what about German shepherds with hip dysplasia? I mean, you know, where do we draw those lines? And this is not a slippery slope narrative that I'm trying to, to point out here, but I'm just simply saying that I get it. I understand it. But to me, we need to be trying to work with maybe breeding organizations to breed healthier dogs, like to, to somehow shun those that are breeding those with really bad defects and say, can we crossbreed or change the breeding? And I think that's probably where our UK counterparts are trying to land this issue as well. Now, I think it's interesting when you see big groups coming out and saying, hey, we don't even want to see them in ads to promote them in any way. I think that's also an interesting tactic, but you know, viewfinders, this is, I'd love to hear from you because as somebody who went to a school whose mascot is the bulldog, <laughs> go dogs, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like we, we knew that those bulldogs, we knew that Ugga was going to have a host of issues and that's probably improper, right? Because that is an animal welfare issue. Are we knowingly breeding these dogs and setting them up for failure? I think we need to work with breeding enthusiasts to, to try to correct that. That's really where I stand. I'm not sure that I'm willing to go as strong as a ban. I don't know. Well, I think another interesting aspect of this is where does it stop, right? So we say ban. Well, ban almost never means nothing, right? There, zero doesn't actually exist if you're a mathematician. And so there's almost always some kind of loophole, some kind of something. But there's so much more genetic science going on with animals these days that they're starting to pull the genetics into the legalities. And so right, right. when we can see genetic carriers, even if we aren't seeing the manifestation of whatever it is, right, whether it's a stenosis or whether it's some kind of shunt, um, if we see that carrier gene, we are now, I mean, we don't argue with science really, right? We test science, but we don't really argue with proven science. And so now the science is getting brought in and these breeding um, organizations have the ability to genetically test. And I think these animal welfare organizations are going to start to hold them responsible to do so. And then we're going to start to be able to bring the science in and say these carrier genes indicate a non-breeding candidate. And I think that is where the slippery slope comes in. 
Yeah, I mean, it, this is a great Gattaca type question. If you haven't seen that movie back from, that was probably in the 90s, I'm guessing, but uh, fantastic film, uh, Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke. I think that's when they actually met and fell in love and later, you know, start a family. But <laughs> I digress, <laughs> but I want to digress because this is a tough topic. And Becky, you're right. I mean, suddenly, what if we are looking at genetic analysis of dogs and we're saying, can't breed this one, can't breed that one, can't breed. I mean, Oh, that sounds great. And that's actually what happens in food production, to be frank. Having said that, you know, this is a this is a sticky issue when it comes to companion animals. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think also part of in America, you know, we have this fiercely independent streak and sometimes it's great and sometimes it's not so great. And, you know, and uh, I, and th- is this one of those issues? That, do I think for a second that the U.S. dog-loving public is going to sit well with something like this? I do not. No. No, I, I think that there's – okay, and so this is the other side of this I find very interesting is because I think there's a very different response and reaction from the American dog-loving community versus the U.K. and the now Norwegian, from what I'm reading, uh dog loving groups and I don't see the same pushback happening in other countries there's almost to me it feels like a control factor um it almost feels to use like a Harry Potter analogy that we don't want any dirty blood in our dogs (laughs) you know we we don't need mud bloods we want only pure bloods um and that somehow makes them better and I do find that a little frustrating because um I question when motives are at the expense of another being. And and it feels like we want these picture-perfect pets. And I'm not just, okay, we can extrapolate this, right, to these little munchkin kittens I'm seeing all right, over the place right. now, right? Like, we want right. these tiny little legged kittens, which is nutso. <sighs> um, you know, we want these incredibly ridiculously short, stocky bulldogs. With I don't even know how their mamas are popping them out. They know, Those all C-sections that don't need to be had. So it's these physical qualities that seem to be very self-motivated. And it brings in the ethical portion, I think, when we talk about ethical fatigue and emotional fatigue in our industry, where, like, it does, like, there is nothing I love more than a basket of puppies, right? And I don't care what breed those puppies are when I'm diving in, right? They can be goldens, they can be doodles, they can be wrinkly, they can have noses, they don't have to have noses, whatever. They're puppies, I'm in it. But when you are working with someone who breeds animals, I think there is this like thing inside of us that doesn't feel right, is hard to work with, um, but we have to be professional. And so would better regulation help us feel better about working with various breeders? I think that we, I think our motives need to be examined. (laughs) Yeah, good point. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then trying to find some common ground and alignment. And you know, for me, Becky, I think there's a couple of easy promotions of healthier brachycephalics, in my opinion. The first, of course, is to do better education of the public, because I think where I get frustrated, and I'm sure that many of the viewfinders can relate to this story, is that you bring in this sort of unassuming new Frenchie or pug or bulldog owner. They've never had this breed before. And suddenly you're like going, OK, here are the 59 things we're going to be looking for because 58 of them are probably going to happen. And they're like overwhelmed. And they're like, wait, what? What do you mean? He's so cute. He's healthy right now. And you're like, yeah, well, this is going to happen. And that's going to happen. And before you know it, all of those things are going to happen. And and so we need to do a better job of educating the public. The second thing we need to do, of course, is work with 
both the breeders and the enthusiasts and all that, we need to somehow promote healthier Frenchies, Bulldogs, Cavaliers, all those, right? I would love to see a celebrity with a crossbreed, just like we've done with Labradoodles and all the other doodle-woodles out there, right? I would love to see a super healthy version of these dogs being carried around by a Paris Hilton type, right? You know, and I'm dating myself there, but I'm just trying to say, is there a way we can get in front of this topic once again and promote that, right? I think that the in the trend thing that they're doing in the UK is admirable, but I don't think that anytime you're telling someone what they can't do, I don't think it works very well, right? Especially it doesn't work well in the US. I mean, when you tell me me what I can't do, that's when I go, I don't know about that. Uh, Look, and and I'm I'm being silly a little bit, but um, just only a little bit. (laughs) But but we need to try to promote healthier, you know, especially these crossbreeds. This might be the time in history when we could somehow mix a a pug with something and, and come out or a Frenchie with something and really come out with a beautifully well-accepted dog that that is healthier. You know, Becky, I think at the end of the day, breeders, veterinarians, pet lovers want healthier dogs, right? We don't want to have an animal that's going to be sick its whole life or require a lot of extensive interventional surgeries and so forth. So I think we need to really work together. You know, this goes back to some of those issues that we've had, especially early in my career, where we were breeding dogs, like you said, confirmationally to look a certain way in the show ring, and yet they were causing tremendous health problems problems down the road. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to push back a little bit on that and say that I I think responsible breeders want healthier breeds, but I don't actually think the majority of people breeding dogs in the United States want healthier breeds. I think we are still absolutely overrun with puppy mills and we are overrun with people who see dollar signs attached to dogs and the more popular these breeds become, they're off the charts expensive and you know, you see these puppies, even these designer breeds, for as much as three, four, five thousand dollars, especially depending yeah. on rare breed coloring. And then like you said, all of a sudden in I don't want to say I'll say an unknowing new dog owner has an equally matched vet bill in surgeries that they right. weren't and that they kind of have to say, well, I don't have the money for that. That's not an option for me. And then we have these designer breed rescues who are now burdened with special needs puppies and finding them homes and finding them fosters. Um, And it's a cycle that needs to be broken. But I I have to say, I think the motivate, it goes back to the motivations. And I think, unfortunately, in America, it's about dollar signs. And um, I think it isn't about healthier breeds. Yeah. And again, you know, what I think is interesting in the UK, Norway and other European countries, they are solely resting their argument for breeding bans and so forth on the animal welfare issues. So they're looking at existing regulations and legislation in their countries and they're saying you're in violation and then we're here's the evidence to prove that. And again, a Norwegian court just sided with them. And so you're you're dealing with, you know, hey, a, a, a practical breed band uh, in Norway for, against brachycephalics. So it's or at least certain breeds within brachycephalics that we would call. So, you know, Becky, again, I, I think that, you know, I, this reminds me a bit of a conversation I had with, with a U.S. colleague. So I this was pre-pandemic, which seems like an eon ago. But I had come back from BSAVA in, in Europe, which is held in, in Birmingham, Manchester you know, area. 
And this breed band thing was kicking up. This was 18 or 19. So it was starting to be talked about. And I'd had a lot of, you know, dinners and, and you know, lunches with vets. And they were asking me, hey, what do you think about bulldogs? Your school is a bulldog, that, that kind of stuff. Um, because I would usually make jokes about bulldogs. And I came back to the U.S., talked to one of my friends who's a vet who's always on his social media with Frenchies. And I said, hey, you know, does this concern you that, you know, kind of maybe are we promoting these unhealthy dogs? And he he kind of shot back what I think is a typical sentiment. And that's like, hey, that's not for me to decide. If people choose to, to love a Frenchie and, and share their homes with a Frenchie, you know, they're bringing along all those other risks. And so, you know, it's their choice to make. And so I think that's also where the U.S. dynamic kicks in, right? Like the U.K., maybe like you said, they're maybe more comfortable with sort of mandates and legislation handed down on how they should behave. Whereas in the U.S., you know, like my my colleague, he's saying, hey, that's their choice. If they choose to to get an unhealthy dog, I'm not going to stop them. I'm going to just do the airway surgery. Well, and that's it, right? Is it a matter of, unfortunately, again, financial drive that says, well, we would lose money if we weren't doing all of these surgeries. And not to mention, who are we to tell them what to be doing, what to be thinking, what to, you know, where where we are often behind it instead of in front of it, as I get so frustrated about. And so I think there's double motivation there. And that, to me, is... To me, that's the scary part. And unfortunately, it's not the conversations that we hear being in, you know, had in the in the VMAs and in the board conversations, um, how we as veterinary professionals need to maybe have a code of ethics around those types of things. Right. Well, I'll tell you another true story that happened recently. Uh, if you've listened to the to the viewfinder for any length of time, you know that Becky and I are deathly afraid of the dentist. Okay. I own it. I'm working on it. And there are drugs to help. So <laughs> I was at my dental cleaning, uh, which of course, you know, had been interrupted due to COVID, but I was back in, back in the saddle, so to speak. And uh, I was drug free, Becky, but I had my uh, earphones in. And, you did uh, amazing. Anyway, one of the um, one of the um, receptionists on the way out, you know, she says, "Oh, Doctor Ward, real quick question. You know, uh, my boyfriend and I are thinking about getting a dog. Uh, what do you think about Frenchies?" No joke. Okay. And this was before we were going to talk about this podcast. This was several weeks back. And I said to her, you know, that's one of those breeds that I know people have strong attachments to and, and love them very much. But for me, all I see are the multitude of health problems. And I could see her face just sink down. And she's like, oh, no, this vet's telling me don't, not to get a Frenchie. And she says, well, do you recommend a breed? And I said, you know what I recommend these days is if you can adopt, <laughs> if you can get a mixed yeah. breed, they're going to be healthier. And I guarantee you, we can find one with the same attributes that you're looking for in that Frenchie. But I said, just be aware that, you know, as much as you may think you want a French bulldog, just do some research and check out some of the health problems because they are not, you know, insignificant. And, and you know, I don't know whatever happened, right? I mean, you know, I don't have follow up with her or anything like that. But I think that's also part of our maybe moral or ethical responsibility when we're asked these questions to kind of give that truth. Now, you can argue, hey, I was too negative and that's fine. And, and you're probably right. But I was also as truthful and and transparent as I could be about the breed, you know, because I do get concerned. She's a young person. She's got a boyfriend. I mean, you know, Becky, they could suddenly be faced, as you mentioned, with thousands and thousands of dollars in medical bills. Well, sure. And not to mention, in general, I don't know. I think the really important 
to ask the why, like we always do. So when we're, you know, maybe doing a pre-adoption or pre-purchase counseling, which I wish we would talk about more within the clinic and and offer that ability. Um, Why do you want a bulldog? Why do you want a French bulldog? And it's just generally because somebody they know has one um, or they've just seen them and they're really, really cute. Honestly, um, I don't know that they are the best fit Take away all the breed issues, take away all the right. potential me- medical issues, and just look at them from a, a, the standpoint of what type of a dog they are, activity levels, demeanors, temperaments, and, and they are not for everybody. And so um, if, the, if the appearance is the number one motivating factor in the breed that you want, I really hope that we can counsel our clients into maybe thinking about some more or maybe some less superficial right. uh, qualities. But Becky, a lot, I, I agree with you, and I, I feel the same. I think a lot of those breed selections are based on appearance, right? Instead sure. of all the other things that are more important. The other thing too, viewfinders, I want to point out, just even when I was sharing this example, this real life example that happened to me, you know, I failed, as I failed with you, to actually look at it from the animal's perspective, right? The welfare component. And I think it's important to say, okay, look, I oh, it's going to cost thousands thousands of dollars and, oh, you know, it might not be the right fit for you or whatever. You're basing it on superficial you know, attributes and so forth. But at the end of the day, we may be somehow promoting a dog or a cat or an animal that struggles to breathe its entire life, that hurts when it runs, right? So there's a welfare yeah. component that that I, I kind of, you know, don't always go out there and lead with. And that's my own problem and I'm working on it. But you know what I'm saying, Becky, like, you know, we focused, you and I focused on all the, the ends, end issues that the owner faces as opposed to what does the sure. animal feel like when they can't breathe or, or move or whatever. Yeah, I think that's actually a really good point to lead with because, um, you know, if we can pull out that anthropomorphism that people love so much and say, you know, I don't know, would you want to live your whole life with no nostrils or, you know, would you want to live your whole life with crooked legs and have to walk? You know, we have corrective surgery for bow leggedness. Um, They just kind of breed for that broad chested quality. Okay, Um, and and when you say I think that they're breeding for physical qualities. I know that that's true. You know, like it's not for all of them, of course. And and, and I do want to like kind of caveat and sidebar here. Like I think breeding can be very important. I know that there are a lot of like, I have a TikTok that I watch that's got those, um, I, I can't remember what they are. Like they're, they're just these, well, they're like, um, anyway, they're, they're cattle stock dogs. And they're not a Marima or a Pyrenees, like a white dog, but they're a beautiful brindle dog. I love when I do this because I know listeners are screaming at me right now. From like, and, and I love that you are. And please just go on Facebook and tell me what I'm thinking of. But there's a TikTok I follow. And these dogs, they guard the lambs and they work with the alpacas and it's all instinct. It's like, it's all instinct. It's so gorgeous to watch. It's so beautiful to watch. If you go out and you watch border collies hurting, um, and you watch dogs doing what they're born to do, it's actually gorgeous and it's beautiful. And so I do think that there is true importance to some of the breeding qualities that we have in these dogs. So I I don't want to say that I'm like, cut it off. I wouldn't want a border collie to live its life without being able to go out and run just the same as I don't want a a brachycephalic to live without breeding or breathing. So I think that you're absolutely right in the welfare aspect. Um, But I, I think that we have to do a whole lot better job in 
thinking from the animal's point of view. And I, I like I said, I just want to say I'm not against breeding, but I think responsible breeding is really important. And I think that having an ethos on this personally and knowing kind of where you stand and having a dialogue that you're ready to have with a client over these concerns is really important because I think it does help in the moment to maybe override the emotional response or the uncomfortable, well, I'm not going to criticize them response. If you have a really good dialogue you're comfortable with that you can have with your clients about your concerns. Um, And again, I argue always use your social media to try to put out facts and information because that's where your clients are in in a mindset to consume is when they're scanning social media to educate so that you don't kind of end up in this emotional confrontational situation that it feels like in the room. Uh, I don't know. That's a monologue, but that's kind of my thought on that because I don't want to come off like I don't agree with it, but I definitely don't agree with, I I agree with taking the animal welfare into examination first. What kind of life are they going to live? Wow, so much goodness in there, viewfinders. Definitely rewind that because that was a masterclass and and really this whole issue and I think how many of us feel. Again, where do you stand? How are you communicating? You know, what is your opinion? Do you think we should be talking about this more openly in our profession and maybe in our interactions with clients? Or is this something that we should just allow each individual pet parent to make that decision on their own? Should we be promoting banning? Should we be working with organizations to pass legislation that they've done in, in, the, in Norway and are, are trying to do in the UK? I mean, I, I want to understand what we think in this country. And, and most importantly, Becky, I want to find out why aren't we talking more about this in our profession? Because obviously this is something that is sparking a lot of controversy and conversation and change in Europe. What about in the U.S.? Yeah, I'm excited to hear what people are doing and saying and thinking, because I know that this tends to be uh, really kind of black and white for a lot of folks. So interested to hear, you know where to find us. You can hit us up on social media at Veterinary Viewfinder or shoot us an email at veterinaryviewfinder at gmail.com. That's right. Until next week, guys. Go dogs, <laughs> but let's breed healthier <laughs> bulldogs in the future. <laughs> Until Bye. next week, we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Oh, it looks miserable.